where would you be in a rugby team? And don't say the ball or something silly like that, you know. Um, <laughs> on the bench. Because girls play rugby today, don't they? So, uh, believe it or not, they do, yeah. And you're, apparently you're not allowed to ask them, um, are you allowed to tackle? This, this, this gets them angry, apparently. Um, so where would you be in a rugby team? I, I was watching France v England the other day with my brother. Um, he's a, a sports fanatic and a sports teacher, knows all these things. And there was some English guy stood up, and I'm like, who on earth is that? And he gave me his name, and I said, how tall is he? And he said, oh, he's six foot eight and weighs 19 stone. Six foot eight of 19 stone sheer muscle running at you. And the next guy's about five foot seven and um, a fast fly half or something. Um, Where would you be in a rugby team? Uh, Not be playing football. You know, I mean, football's the same, isn't it? You get big rugby, uh, well, you big goalkeepers with big hands and then little, you know, where, where would you be? In, you know where you'd be in rugby team. You play rugby, for goodness sake. So where would you be? Um, it's, was it 15 people on each side? How many people in an American team? How many play in a team, rugby, each side? No, rugby is 15, rugby league 13, football 11. Okay. Um, there's something about this number, 11, 12, 13, isn't there? Most good sports teams are round about 10 to 15, and they have a variety of roles. Now, can you see where I'm going with this? Okay? There's a variety of roles. You will fit in there somewhere if you want to. That's the key, if you want to. Why were there 12 apostles? Probably because they mirror the 12 uh, tribes of Israel. Yes, probably, but maybe another reason as well. 12 is a very good number to work with. Okay, any of you who do any um, group, small group work, you know that 12 is sort of the biggest number you're going to handle in a small group after that. It gets a bit awkward. So so it's this number that things work together round about 12, and you need a variety of people in an interesting team. Uh, you know, synchronized swimming is not a competitive game. And it's the only thing I can think of in sports where everybody tries to be the same. Everything else, everybody's different. I and mean, how many play netball? Maggie, how many in the netball team? How many? Eight, nine, sevens? Yeah, but they're all different, aren't they? You know, you get gold defenses and people, you get big girls and knock the other girls over and whatever. So, Variety. John's asking us to look at the 12 apostles. Right, we, yeah, that's not be accurate. We, we've made the point, yeah. We, we, yeah, I know you're... Yeah. <laughs> if, you want, if you want to discuss netball, we'll talk outside afterwards. Um, yeah, variety makes a difference. And, and John said, look at, we're looking at the 12 apostles and asked me to look at Philip. But this morning I want to start off by looking at the idea of 12 apostles. There were 12. They were different. It's a good size for having a team. And if you look at the 12 apostles and start looking a little bit into it, you can see how very different they were. There has been, I don't want to fall out with anybody, but over the last 15, 20 years, there's been this sort of slight pressure to Judaize Christianity a little bit more. And and, um, yes, value the Jewish role, yes. But to try and sort of make it more Jewish than it is might not be such a good idea. Because when you look at the 12 apostles, they are incredibly varied. 50% of them, over half by their names, 
would not be traditional Jewish people from that area. 50%. In other words, they were from all different backgrounds. So you would fit in there somewhere. So let's just look at a few of these and, and ask some questions. Now, I'm going to pull, I'm not going to quote this morning, it's not an academic discussion, but I'm pulling a lot off um, a Jewish lady who did a, a study um, which she published four or five years ago, which has now become quite a key uh, tool for academics, uh, where she, she went and just recorded all the Jewish names that she could find, male and female, um, for about a, a, a period, 150 years to 250 years around Jesus' time. Looked in everywhere she could find it, and then printed all this, this list of names, and then asked how common they were, and where, where they were regionally. And it's been very, very instructive. And it certainly supported um, the idea that the Gospels were written at that time, because all the names fit in. If you're going to be creating as many people have said, the Gospels in Rome a hundred years later, you'd be very, very skillful to get all the names right and the proportion of the names. But the Gospels fit in exactly with this piece of, of work that she's done. I'm going to pull on that a little bit because it's really very interesting. So, 12 um, apostles. What you, what's interesting to know is that the commonest Jewish names at that time were the names that were common in what was the Jewish royal family, the Hasmodians. So that, they were the common names. People weren't named after the prophets or after the Old Testament. They tended to be named after the people in the Jewish royal family. The other thing to remember at that time is that it's a very multicultural area. It's not one culture. There are competing cultures but which were mishmashed together. There was the Romans... And they had a Latin language and a Latin culture. But that really was a little bit in the background. It was sort of for the um, ruling class. No one else really was running around talking Latin. Okay? Greek. Greek was the common language of the day. If you did anything, you probably did it in Greek. It was like the English is today. Um, I've just come back from uh, France, and uh, where we've been out a little bit. And if you... Uh, in a supermarket queue in Chamonix and you stand on someone's toe, um, you would probably say sorry in English, although it's France, because most people there aren't French and everybody speaks English. And it's a sort of common language. And the French, of course, speak French, and the French are very French. Uh, but the, but this is, it's, it's, that's the common sort of language of the day. Every note is up everywhere. It will be in French and English and maybe Italian as well. But it, it's, it's a mix. English is the, is the common language. Um, oh, some years ago, I, I was playing golf with my, my son, this is years and years ago, in Portugal. And we noticed that everybody who one that we, we met uh, spoke to us in English, although we were in Portugal. Um, it's, it's, it's sort of spread everywhere. And Greek was like that. Everybody spoke Greek. All business was probably done in Greek. Everything was recorded in Greek. Everybody spoke Greek. Now, this is a little experiment this morning. Um, I'm pretty confident this is going to work, okay? Now, I want you to be really honest. Really honest. Please raise your hand if you only speak one language, which will be English, because I'm speaking English. Okay. Raise your hand. Okay? Now, um, Jonathan, come here. Come out here. Come, you're, you're bigger. come out here, John. Lift your hand up. Lift your hand if you only speak one, one language. 
Now look at all those people, Jonathan. Tell me what their ethnicity is. They're all English. Yeah. Yeah, they're all English. Uh, If you go back into er early Bible academia, there was this tendency to take what you found and apply it to your own culture. And people had huge trouble thinking of Jesus speaking Greek. Of course he spoke Greek. I mean, it's like, if I say to you, now lift your hand up if you speak more than one language. Lift your hand up. Okay, how lift, no, okay. What if you speak more than two languages? It's nearly the same number of people, right? I tend to be a monoglot or a a polyglot, okay? Now, if I said to, to Jonathan and Michaela, is it weird to speak three languages? You'd go, you don't know anything else. You know, if you asked me, is it weird to speak three languages? I'd go, what? How do you speak more than one language? Now, Jesus was in this community where the, the, the post people spoke Latin, most people spoke Greek, and then um, Hebrew and Aramaic would, would be the, the, the language that the ethnic uh, Jews spoke, probably conversed in Aramaic and knew some Hebrew, because Aramaic and Hebrew are very, very close. But that would be the natural way of talking. Um, just an interesting aside this, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, uh, when it starts off and with, with, with those wonderful, the Beatitudes, um, people have tried to, what does the Beatitudes mean? Oh, for goodness sake, look into Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes, which is uh, the Apocrypha written in Greek, there's a passages on the same format of blessed are the blessed are. The, the blessed are the blessed are was a Greek funeral poem. And Jesus is pulling on that. It seems to me self-evident that he's speaking in Greek. At the start, at the end of the, um, the Sermon on the Mount, he switched to Aramaic. Just the language changes. Now, this to us as English is wow. But I've listened to this lot chatting away. I, you know, one minute they're in jolly English, then they're speaking in French, then they're talking in in Spanish, and, and I'm. It's normal for you guys, isn't it? You don't have a problem with it. Well, you wouldn't if you were from this time at that time. Switching languages was was just. Not a problem. So we've got different languages going on and different cultures. And by looking at the names of the 12 apostles, we can pick out quite a few little hints, which is quite interesting. Okay? So let's start with Simon. Simon Peter. His name was Simon, not Peter. Pete, Jesus names him Peter. Now, Simon is a very, very um, uh, helpful name. Simon was the commonest Jewish name of the time. Okay? Largely because it was a Hasmodian name, but it was the commonest name of the time, Simon. And Simon Peter was probably the oldest in the family, so he gets called Simon. But it's also a Greek name. And it's, it's Simeon in, in Aramaic and Simon in Greek. But, of course, they're written in different languages. So whether you spell it S-I-M-O-N or S-I-E-O-N, it depends on how you transliterate. But it's the same name. So calling your eldest son Simon is the commonest uh, Jewish name and a very, very common Greek name. It's pretty safe. So his parents pick this name for him and call him Simon. Jesus calls him Peter, but that's his first name. Do you remember who his brother is? Andrew. 
Now, this is really interesting. Andrew does not even come up in the list of um, Jewish names in this study I've just told you about. It was incredibly rare as a Jewish name. It would be the equivalent in English if you calling your child Pocahontas or something. You know, it, it just did not figure. So why do his parents choose a name that is absolutely, completely Greek? It's a common name in Greek, but it's just not a Jewish name. I don't know why is the answer, but I notice that they do it. And it's probably a reference to the uh, Jewish disperser who have been dispersed all over the world. And it's probably showing that that family have a contact, a strong contact with the Jewish disperser. So he was Jewish, but has a Greek name. So he's probably showing that there's a big... Now, they were a big fishing family, big trade, and probably a big trading family. And you get the feeling, just by this name Andrew, that there is an international link going on there, which is quite interesting. Okay, the sons of Zebedee. So, uh, okay, he appointed 12. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter. Um, so I, I think you can see a connection here with the disperser. James and Zebedee. Uh, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James. Not going to go into this now, but I am pretty convinced they were Sadducees. There's so many inferences here in the scripture that they were Sadducees. Andrew and Philip. Andrew, we've mentioned, Greek name. Now, Simon and Andrew come from Bethsaida, and Philip comes from Bethsaida. He's their friend. Philip comes up as about the 89th commonest Jewish name. Pretty rare. But very common as a Jewish disperser name. Philip is named after the Greek kings. Do you know what Philip means? If your name, if you have a name and it's not got a particular meaning, don't worry about it. It means lover of horses. Philip, phylos, lover, um, hippos, horses. I always remember what hippos means in Greek, because hippopotamus means river horse. So there you are. So lover of horses. Just, and he's almost named, uh, the, the, it comes from the, 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 the Greek, um, the father of Alexander I was King Philip. The King Philip II, I think. But so so um, there's, again, a, a hint of, a, of a, an overseas disperser Greek tradition. So we've got... Simon, who's got a Greek uh, link. Uh, Andrew, who's got a Greek link. Philip, who's got a Greek link. Uh, James and John probably um, are uh, Sadducees. Uh, Bartholomew, comes, Bartholomew comes next. Then it says Matthew. Matthew, we know, is a tax collector. So certainly friendly with the Romans. Not saying he was a Roman, but you, can, you, know, you don't get to collect taxes for the Romans unless you happen to have some friendly connection with them. Um, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, and Simon the, uh, the Canaan. Uh, Luke calls him Zealot, Simon Zelotes. So this guy's different as well. He's, he's from Canaan. He, he's, so you add up these up, over six of the, half the apostles have some foreign link in some way or another. So that's showing a multicultural um, approach to Jesus when he chose the 12, was making other statements other than just chose the 12 best speakers. He didn't. He was choosing, he was making a statement 
about who he was choosing. So a completely multicultural, would be an unusual group. All these 12 people walking around, six of them being weirdos, um, would, would, have, would have really stood out a little bit. So I, I, I find it quite fascinating. I, I, I love it. Okay, so let's look at the, 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 those are the 12. They're different. They're all from, uh, there's six from different backgrounds. Um, how would they have got on together? Uh, different cultures. You've got a tension in there between the uh, Zillites and, and, and the, um, the Jewish ones. You've got a tension between the Sadducees and the uh, um, Pharisees. You've also got hints in the Gospels of employer and employee. Because uh, James and John were all, seemed to own the business, and they were the employers, and others worked in the business. They were the employees. So the 12 uh, apostles have got this huge spread of differences between them. And I, I like that. I think it's Jesus saying, look, it doesn't matter who you are. There's a place for you in here. You're going to fit in. Some of these people have names, like, like Simon is given a new name, um, meaning rock. It says something about him. Philip was just called lover of horses. I mean, it didn't mean anything, really, in those days, lever of horses. Lever of cars. Who would you call your name Morris or something, would you? Um, you know, it, 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 if, so if that's you, you, got, you, you think you're insignificant, you would have fitted in here. You would not have been insignificant. There was a place for you amongst the 12 apostles. So let's look at Philip a little bit now. I've said his name is, is a Greek name. Um, his parents have given him this Greek name. He comes from Bethsaida, which we can infer has got um, dispersal links as, as well because of the, the others have all got Greek names. Um, what I want to point out about Philip is that there's a few references to him in, in, the, in the scriptures. And in every one, there's a sort of theme with Philip. He sort of plays into Jesus' plans. He's the guy that opens the door and Jesus walks through it. Um, you can think of a sort of double-act comedy team. You know, there's always the straight man that sets up the other guy. Um, Philip tends to be the set-up guy. He, Jesus uses him to make a statement, and Philip is, can be relied upon to do it. And, and, and I like that. Um, so let's look at John 1, 40 and 42. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. Hang on, wrong. But I want, no, ignore that bit. We'll go somewhere else. Uh, John 1, 43 and 51. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip. I like that. Some of the other apostles came to Jesus. Jesus came to Philip. He found Philip and said, follow me. Now, Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. We've talked about that. Philip found Nathanael. So you've got the picture. Jesus comes and gets Philip, sets Philip up, and Philip goes and does something for Jesus. Not a great thing. He was not a great speaker. He didn't rise someone from the dead. He was not there on the Mount of Transfiguration. He just went and found somebody. You can do that. There's a place for us all amongst the apostles. This is what Philip did. He just took up the advantage, took the opportunities that Jesus gave. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law, also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. So Philip shows some insight. He's got a Jewish background because he knows all this. He knows to whom he's looking. 
but he is found by Jesus and then goes out and finds somebody else. And then if you read through the rest of this, you can see this is an opportunity for Jesus to teach. And so Jesus takes the opening that Philip gave and, and teaches Nathaniel. All right, let's look at the next one. Um, John 6, 1 to 11. And after this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing to the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat down with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing the large crowd who was coming towards him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he knew what he would do. So Jesus is is relying upon Peter. Now you can make two scenes here, two narratives. One, Jesus is testing Peter in a sense that he um, can't trust him. uh, Or the other one, he's relying upon Peter because he knows, on on Philip, because he knows that he can trust um, the sort of answer that Philip's going to give. And Philip answered him, 200 denarii would not buy enough bread for each of them to get uh, a little bit. 200 de- a denarii was worth about a day's wages. So nine months' wages. So the narrative I like is that Jesus turns to uh, Philip and says, how are we going to feed this lot? And Philip says to Jesus, it's going to take nine months' wages and the inference is, how are you going to do it? You know, I think Philip is waiting for, how is he going to get out of this? There's a sort of invitation in Philip's answer. It's not, Thomas would have said, can't do it, too many. You know, it was an invitation. I love Thomas. He, he's dead blunt, Thomas, but he always just states the fact. There's more to a fact here. There's an invitation. Um, how, how are you going to do it, sort of thing. One of his other disciples, Andrew, says to him, there's a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. And then Jesus, of course, you know the rest of the story. But there's, Jesus uses, Jesus sets Philip up, Philip replies, and then Jesus um, teaches and uses the opportunity. There's nothing, nothing terribly... Uh, clever or terribly anything about Philip. He just takes the opportunity that Jesus gives. You can do that. We all have a place amongst the 12 apostles. Just take the opportunities that Jesus gives and let him work. And that's what Philip does. It's going to take nine months wages to feed this lot. And I'm pretty sure Philip was there thinking, watching, what's going to happen next? You know, He could have said, it'll take nine months wages and a supermarket. And Andrew says, here's the supermarket. And then Jesus, it happens. Nothing clever, nothing difficult. Just take the opportunity that Jesus gives you. And it doesn't matter if you've got a little, how is he going to do this? Jesus used it. Let's look at the next one. John 12, 20. 
Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. Now, the New Testament just says Greeks. But bear in mind, they were going to worship at the feast. They weren't tourists. They didn't have tourists in those days. Okay? They're probably, well, certainly, they're Jewish dispersa, who are people who come from outside of um, the, the Jewish area, probably, from, could be from anywhere, but they're identified as Greeks, meaning they're not local Jewish people, and they clearly speak Greek. And they've come to worship at the feast. So we can see them as Greek-speaking Jewish people coming to the feast. Who do they go to? It's not a coincidence they go to Philip. Because they say Greek name, we can therefore assume that he speaks Greek. And um, Philip goes and finds Andrew. Now again, some people have seen this as a sort of Philip uh, accepting a sort of hierarchy amongst the apostles. I go to Andrew first and Andrew will take me to Jesus. Yeah, if, if you've got 500 people, but not with 12, I mean, they, they, they all know each other. I don't see it as a hierarchical statement. I just see Philip going to the other Greek speaker. And Andrew, with a name like Andrew, is, is, is going to be a Greek speaker. So he, the two Greeks get together, and then they take the Greeks, they take these people to Jesus. And what happens? Well, read the rest of it, and Jesus answered the hour... Um, for the Son of Man is to be glorified, and Jesus uses it to teach. The teaching is there, but the same thing happens. Philip takes the opportunity, brings it to Jesus, and Jesus uses it to teach or to work. Now, we can do this. We don't have to worry about what we do. We just bring the opportunity and leave it with Jesus and let him get on with it. And that, to be honest, is what Christian leadership should be about letting Jesus get on with it while we just open the doors. So again, Philip uses the opportunity and brings it to Jesus. And then the last one, uh, John, 4, John 14, 1 to 11. This is in the, the middle of uh, Jesus' long teaching discourses. But I'll just read it through and you can see the same pattern following Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Now, I'd love to be talking about Thomas because I love Thomas. But yeah, just statement of fact. You know, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Well, someone else can deal with Thomas. But he was also remember with Thomas was the one that said, my Lord and my God. So don't, uh, you know, don't diss Thomas. He was a good guy. Um, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. You see the difference between him and Thomas? Thomas, statement. Philip, it's an invitation. Show us the Father. 
He, he's not doubting. He's not challenging. He's just saying, show me the Father. And it's enough. An invitation. And what happens? Jesus said to him, and Jesus takes the invitation and uses it to teach. Again. So Philip is, is almost relied upon to open doors so that Jesus can come through and Jesus can teach. And we can do that. There's not one of us here. You don't have to be able to teach. You just have to be able to open the doors to let Jesus teach. You don't have to do miracles. You have to, have to open the doors and let Jesus work. And that was Philip's role. There's a lot of stories about Philip in the um, post-biblical writings. He, the legend has it that he went to Greece, not surprisingly, and um, taught and, and, and opened churches in Greece and, and uh, spoke in those areas. How he died, um, there are three various traditions, but in all of them he, he's martyred for his faith. So we can see with Philip that he fits in to the 12 apostles. He has a unique role of this opening a door, letting Jesus speak and then teaching as, as opposed to Thomas who challenges and gets an answer. You know, Thomas, challenge, get answer, challenge, get answer. Philip, it's open the door, Jesus works. Open the door, Jesus works. You can do that. I know I keep saying that, but it's easy. We just let Jesus work. And just finish by drawing your attention to the, the wonderful variety in the 12 apostles. And when we, we look at Reuben's pictures of the 12 apostles, you know, 12 lovely sagely men, all, all, all Italians, um, you know, in, in their sort of late 50s, early 60s, the, the, these guys would have been in their late 20s, maybe, or, or early 20s when they were called. John, I suspect, was in his mid-teens when he was called. And yeah, they made mistakes. They said silly things. They did silly things. Um, Peter did lots of silly things, as we know. You can do that. You, know, you can do silly things. And God will bless them if you do it with the right heart. It doesn't matter who you are, you would have fitted into the 12 apostles. And God has a role for you in your life just by being you. I don't know who you'd play in a rugby team, but I know you'd fit in somewhere. I don't know what sport you'd play, but you'd fit in somewhere. And the 12 apostles are like that. They're a team. They're a very varied team with lots of differences. But we would all fit in and we all have a role. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the wonderful, wonderful examples you give us in your scripture. And, and the assurance it gives us that every one of us has a place, has a role in your kingdom. There's not one of us that can't be used by you. Help us to have confidence this morning that if we trust you to work and to speak and to answer, then you will. So Lord, maybe we can all learn a little bit from Philip this morning. Open the door and let you work. Amen.